Hey, uh, so so this this morning, uh, greetings from Westgate. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, Westgate's my home church. But knowing that, I remember when Awakening was just this idea that Ryan had, and and we were meeting in the theater. One of my kids was the worship leader, and uh, it was just awesome to see. And I had a chance to speak there. And I haven't been able to come back since now. And so it's awesome to come and be here with you guys, and to share a little bit, and to just encourage you, and just to see where you've grown, and see how God has continued to work in the life of this church and the vibrancy that you guys have in the community. So it is, it is really awesome. So thank you for letting let me be here. I'll tell you a little story about my sister. Um, I, I grew up in a family of three. My sister is the oldest. We're all um, just three, three years apart, just three, two, one kind of. That's my parents had us like that. And I'm the youngest of the three. My brother, middle, and my sister, the oldest. And my sister, like most girls, uh, not most girls, but some girls, I don't want to stereotype all girls, but uh, she went through this whole Barbie phase. Any girl, go th- it's okay if you did. Did you go through Barbie phases? Anybody go through? All right, good, good. Across the room, you ha- you still have them or no? You st- yes, no, you got rid of them, okay. Um, my sister had this Barbie phase, and she went through this whole thing with Barbies. And uh, she had, I mean, she had every accessory that you can get. And there's a Barbie, um, I'll, I'll pull it up here right here. The Barbie, Malibu Barbie Country Camper, okay. And uh, I had to pull that off of Google Image. But some of you are like, oh, yeah, I had that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so my sister had that, and I remember Christmas, she was getting more accessories, more accessories, and she gets, that was her big gift, was the Malibu Country Camper. And my brother and I were, you know, she would go, she would go in the backyard, and, and she would set up, just very similar to this picture, the most ideal camping situation that could possibly happen, where the girls are hanging out, and they're tang- talking, and they're laughing, and they're, they, she would even put little rocks and create a little, little fire thing so, them, so they can make s'mores and stuff like that. I mean, it was just like, it was just awful. She'd lay out all their clothes and accessorize everything, and she would set up their world or their vision of what she thought their world would be. And um, my brother and I, you know, my sister going in the house and forget that it was out there or whatever else. And my brother and I, we, we, we were wicked. We were. We, um, so we would sneak out there, and here's this Barbie scenario. It's all set up. And then we would go out there, and we like, Okay, it's just total mayhem. Like, not just kick things around, but just, like, we'd, like, turn the car upside down and, and you know, t- create, spill the fire over here, take Barbie's head and pop it right off and get some ketchup right there so it looks like somebody just, and it was just like, you know, she's all dismembered and everything. I, I, I know, our, our parents really should have had us checked. Um, but, but, I mean, so we, and we would go, and we just totally set up this, like, like the Dexter kill room, you know what I mean? Just, it was just, like, dismemberment. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we check those kids out now, but uh, we probably should have been checked. But anyway, so my, we would wait in the other room and just listen for her to walk out to this horrific murder scene of her Malibu country camper and Barbies and be like, what happened? We're like, oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> Ken must have come in and gone crazy. <laughs> but I remember her setting up her world, her vision of what her, she thought her world would be. And it was awesome to, to just kind of just mess with her paradigms a little bit. The perfect scenario. And this is how life should operate. This is how the picture of my life should be. And the truth is, things never really work out that way. Things break. Relationships fail. People die. And the human condition and perfection rarely intersect, if ever. Of what you thought your world and your worldview and the things that you thought would play out, 
And it doesn't have to be necessarily mayhem, but it gets skewed or it gets rocked along the way. And what happens, happens to everyone. And it's in that reality where your world gets rocks that you're caught between two storms, and that's the series that we're in. Where I'm either paralyzed by fear or I'm propelled and moved forward by faith. In my world, when things happen, and they will happen, do I allow fear to overtake me, or do I allow faith to lead the way? Do I let fear stop me dead in my tracks, or do I let faith set me on the right tracks? It's crazy, because I meet people every day that are paralyzed by fear. And many of us, or even all of us in the room, have been paralyzed by fear at one time or another, or maybe experiencing it currently, or maybe in it, and you don't even know you are. Life didn't work out the way you planned a broken relationship, a dream job became a dead-end job, or you thought you'd be married by now, or you thought you'd have your degree, or something bad happened to you or to someone you love, and now your movement forward or the lack of movement is gripped by fear. I'll give you an example. When uh, uh, 1996, uh, my family and I, I was was working um, in, in sales. I was a chocolate broker in Southern California, and I was making a lot of money, most money I've ever made, still to this day in my life was in my 20s as a chocolate broker. I was third in the country. I sold a lot of chocolate. And uh, I got a call from a church to come work in the San Jose area. I'd never even been up here before. And so I moved to Almaden and I take this position as a college pastor. But I remember uh, our family, because I was going to divinity school and I was going to seminary and thinking I need to get, I I really feel like God's calling me into ministry, but shoot, the money, I, I don't know if I can afford it. And these fear pieces came over me to where I was just like, am I really going to do this? And fear would just, would, would challenge me to where, and it became this, this deafening reality of fear and faith, fear and faith, every, t- every turn in this whole deal, all the way up until the night we moved. We moved up here on March 1st, 1996. The night we moved, my wife and three of my four kids were in the suburban with her. I said, hey, meet us. We were all packed. And the, the moving van had already left. And we're packed. We're ready to go. And I'm thinking, man, we're just stepping out in faith. This is crazy. And I said, well, meet us at the gas station because we need to fill up. And I took my oldest daughter and we took the other car. And we pulled out. This is the night we're moving. We pulled out. And as we pull out, a car broadsides us. Boom and just destroys our car. We were both, we were both uh, surprisingly okay, but our car was just devastated. And fear gripped us again, and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? Th- this faith thing is really difficult, and if this is what's gonna happen, maybe I'm not supposed to move. And it's really easy that along the way, during that time frame, all the way moving up to here, and me questioning whether or not I should be here ever, and I would have missed all of what God had planned for me had I not moved out of fear into faith. But along the way, we took steps of faith. God continues to show us things that we needed to know. The journey that he had us on grew our faith and our confidence more and more. And it was these small life lessons that taught us how to live in the tension between fear and faith because you have it all the time. And that's why we're in this series between two storms in the book of Mark. And Jesus is doing the same thing with his disciples. We're only in Mark chapter five, but if you've read the first few chapters leading up to that, there's all this crazy stuff where Jesus is taking his disciples along the way. Last week, Ryan talked about the storm literally as they go across the storm and, 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 and wake Jesus up. 
And then we get across this and we get into the scene where we are in chapter five where Jesus is responding to some situation that happens on the other side of the lake. So we're gonna jump into the passage. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter five. We'll have it on the screen um, behind me and it's in your notes as well. Let's pray before we go into it. Father, thank you for the chance for us to look at your word and to dive into a really kind of obscure passage. Will you help us to to see what it is you need us to see in this? That you speak to fears and call us out in faith and show us the steps that you took the disciples through that we would walk through as well. Illuminate our eyes, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Here's a passage. Mark chapter five, first uh, 20 verses there. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came from a cemetery to meet him. The man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him, and with a shriek he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside of this man. And the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send him to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. And evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd, about 2,000 pigs, plunged down a steep hillside into the lake, and they drowned in the water. Weird. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. What the heck was that all about? I love it when Ryan says, hey, I want you to preach on Mark chapter five, just the first 20 verses. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. And then I read it, I'm like, seriously? <laughs> what is this? What, are, what a weird, I've, I've read this passage so many times, I'm like, yeah, it's just weird. It's just weird. Uh, it's, 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 it's like an episode of The Walking Dead season five. You know what I mean? You any Walking Dead fans? I love this, don't mess with Jesus, okay? <laughs> Walking Dead, don't mess with Jesus. What's interesting is you can see how Jesus walks his disciples along this journey and the, the lessons that they, that they learn, that they're regular people like you and me. And they're along this path and their worldview changes. 
They could have been easily paralyzed by fear, but Jesus walks them through this journey that opens their mind up to this radical faith. Ryan last week talked about them and this journey, uh, and, and he said, in the journey, Jesus invades this space, and he does it right here. Just the night before, Jesus stands in the boat and calms the winds and the wave. Ryan said it last week where he said, uh, the, 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 the phrase used were when, when the storm is going and the disciples wake up Jesus and Jesus says he rebukes the storm, storm. It's the same words that a father would use to his kids. As if the storm's going on and Jesus comes up and goes, hey, knock it off. Uh, that's funny to me. That's super funny. Like, like, the, like the waves are going, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm personifying a wave. <laughs> sorry. Knock it off. You knock it off. You know, it was just the whole, you know, wave interaction. But I love that. Because, uh, and if that wasn't freaky enough, now they walk into that, they, they have that whole situation, and now they walk into this. Between two storms, moving from faith to fear. So there's insights in this passage. I sat with this passage, I read it over and over again, and I just, I just said, God, what is, it that you, what is it that you want me to lift from this and to hand to you guys? And I thought it was gonna be in your notes, so it's not. It's on the back page, it's blank, and you're gonna write these things down. I've got five things that I want you to see that I see in this passage, and it's how to live in the tension between fear and faith. How to live in the tension between fear and faith. And the first one is this. There's this unmistakable mismatch of issue and solution. It's right here. Unmistakable mismatch. Write that down. Unmistakable mismatch of issue and solution. First five verses are all about that mismatch. Look at the passage again where it says, he could no longer be restrained even with a chain. It says whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as often as he was, he snapped the chains from the wrist, smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. You see the mismatch here? They're trying to solve a spiritual issue with a physical solution. Now that is super important to know. Trying to solve a spiritual issue with a physical solution. The solution isn't about chaining him. The solution is about delivering him. Now this is super important. Don't miss this. It's crazy because they were trying to restrain him and what he actually needs is to be set free. And often in our world, we have these fears and truth. We never move beyond them because we mismatch our issue with the wrong solution. Let me give you an example. Money. Money causes a lot of fear, and it causes a lot of stress. It does. The Bible talks about it more than anything else. Well, it talks about it a lot. I can't say that emphatically. But it talks about it a lot, about money. And it's ba- because it, money causes fear, money causes stress, money causes breakdown, money, money leads you down the wrong path if you take it the wrong way. And what happens is people, especially young people, have this fear, I'm afraid I'm not gonna have enough money. I'm afraid and I don't wanna go into debt. I'm afraid because I have debt and I don't know how to deal with it. I'm afraid because I can't pay my bills. And the biggest one, I'm afraid and ashamed because I don't have enough money to pay my bills and to give tithes to the church. Ever experienced that? I have for a long time. And so in order to address the issue, I come up with a mismatched solution, which is make more money. That's the wrong solution. Oftentimes, when we're looking and trying to address fear and move into faith, we have to identify the solution as something spiritual, not a physical. I can solve my issues with paying my bills and giving to the church, 
with the solution to making more money, but this is counter to what God teaches us about money. This isn't a message about money, but the, but the principle applies. God moves his people from handling money with fear to handling it with faith. It's never about how much you make, ever. It's about your faith and your faithfulness with what you actually have. And that's what happened with this man. We kept trying to restrain him, restrain him. And, they said, and it said for the first five verses, they tried to restrain him. No one could subdue him. Well, they're doing it the wrong way. Jesus comes out and just does it in one little flash. What are the issues that we're trying to solve that have racked us with fear and we've given the wrong solution? That's the first thing that I see in this passage. There's a second thing that I see in regards to moving from faith to fear, from fear to faith. Second one, I want you to write this one down. An unbelievable manifestation of the presence of Jesus. An unbelievable manifestation of the presence of Jesus. All I did was take this passage and just break it down. Unbelievable manifestation of the presence of Jesus. It says when Jesus was still some distance away and the man saw him, he ran to meet him. He bowed low before him. The presence of Jesus became like a magnet to this man regardless of his mental state. It changed him, and he's just like, I've, uh, he's drawn toward it. He's, Jesus didn't walk out there and have a lanyard or a name tag that said, hello, my name is. He didn't have a jersey because it's Super Bowl weekend that said, the Messiah. Nothing like that. He just knew. And there was some sort of thing that there's this great presence in the midst of this darkness in this whole thing. And the scriptures tell us this in 1 John 4, 4. It says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus and the presence of Jesus in your life has this unbelievable magnetic power that you have no idea how, how strong it actually is. He has given me the power of the spirit to speak, to lead, to respond, to act, to live in a way that is intuitive, that, that intuitively is like the person and work of Jesus. Because my life has been redeemed by Christ, I have this Christ-likeness aura about me. I can't see it, I just sense it. You know when you ever meet somebody, where like you just meet somebody randomly, and you have this fantastic conversation, you just, oh, you know, whatever, and then you leave and you go, and you, in your mind you think, I think that dude's a believer. Ever had that happen? Where you think, Some, man, I think that guy's a Christian. And then you find out later that he is, and you're like, I knew it. Ever, has that ever happened to anybody, or is that just me? Where you, where you just get together with somebody and, and you sense it. And you know what that is? There's some sort of mystical thing that happens when you have surrendered your life to Christ that gives you this presence in the person of work of Christ. It's the light that's in you. Light, really strong, really dim, is still light in very dark places. Whether you had your quiet time this morning or did not, it does not make you less light. You are light. And when you go to you meet somebody, there's this powerful presence of Christ in you that changes things to where you're like, I've been living in fear, but I actually step out in faith and live a little bit differently, a little more boldly, a little more actively, a little more engaged because there's this power and this presence that's inside of me. I started watching this show because somebody said, dude, you gotta watch this show, it's crazy. And I, 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 when I read about it, I'm like, yeah, it is, it's stupid, but I watched it, um, called Utopia. Anybody see that show on Fox? It's like the Truman Show where it's on 24-7. You can log on to the computer. We can log on right now and we can watch what's happening in Utopia. 
and they take the segments of what's happening with 15 people around the country who have come together from different walks of life. Here's a lawyer, here's a, a construction guy, here's a survivalist, here's a hunter, here's a, here's a hick from the outback, here's a preacher, you knew they were going to do that, here's a polyamorist, of course they were going to throw somebody in like that, and just this weird collection of people gathered together into this context to say, you know, create your own world for a year. It's crazy. It's a crazy show. And somebody said, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch The Preacher. I said, they're just going to make him out to be an idiot. I said, they can't. They can't. They can't spin it because it's 24-7. So America will call him out if they say, hey, he looks like a big old idiot. No. And so there's conflict that happens in the house. And there's, it's like Big Brother, but for a year. And there's all this stuff going on and, and fights and different things that go on. And what does this pastor do? His name's Jonathan. He just, he just stands by the issue. People are fighting, he just walks over by there. Whether he's taking a side or not, or it's obvious this guy's fault, this one's, he just stands there with the people. It's all right, it's okay. And he becomes this embodiment of Christ and this shalom bringer, this, this man of peace in this place of chaos, just by his mere presence. And people were arguing at the very front of the story, like, yeah, if we have our own utopian society, we don't want any government, and we don't want any religion. And when this man, this pastor, was being kicked off the show because he had hurt himself and he had to leave and go get surgery on his thumb, they were in tears. And, they, and there was a quote that said, I don't know what we're going to do without preacher. He had had that kind of impact on their lives. Because the presence of God does that. And when you ask yourself the question, I'm, I'm afraid, it's not just you. You walk in the presence and the person of Christ in you. Move from fear to faith. Live in the mystical, crazy reality of Christ in you. Third thing I want you to see. Third thing I want you to see in regards to this moving from fear to faith, the tension between the two. Third is this, the unraveling, unraveling mankind through forces of darkness. The unraveling of mankind through forces of darkness. <coughs> I can't get away from the passage. Again, I'm just going through it segment by segment and recognize that you cannot escape the fact that there's things out there that are purposely, intentionally there to destroy you. Let's look at the passage. It says, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demons say, send us into those pigs. So the spirits begged, let's enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd, about 2,000, plunged down a steep hillside and drowned in the water. It's super weird. That's just a, it's a weird passage. So when you think of pigs, here's, here's what most people think of when they think of pigs, okay? But you women, m- women more think of something like this. Yeah, that, yeah see? Oh, the one in the middle is so cute. Um, and when guys think of pigs, we think more like this. This is more of what we think of. Um, all right, back me up here, guys. Uh, so here's my, here's my theory on this. There's an enemy... Satan, and there are demons and forces of darkness that have one main objective. John 10.10 tells us this, that he's there to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. To destroy and to, to just to mess you up along the way. So as you move in from this fear to faith, there's the reality that there's something there that is working against you. And the demon's job was to destroy life, and they were doing this until Jesus gets there. And now that he's there, they have nowhere else to go, meaning that their potential of the fulfillment of their mission is being derailed. And so it's better to kill and destroy something than nothing at all. So just send us into the pigs. At least do that. Don't banish us because 
what, what will we do? And so they at least go into the enemy can do anything to unravel you. They'll do anything, and it's subtle. It's not, it's not just that you're not going to run across these demon-possessed type people. It's just this subtle lies, subtle things that cause you to fear, that, that, that makes you question everything, that makes you go, ah, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And, and, and it's subtle, but the, but the enemy is present there to unravel you and there to, to have that presence within you. Here's a fourth thing. I want you to write this down. Here's a fourth thing that I see in this passage that keeps people in fear instead of moving towards faith. Fourth is this. It's what I call unreasonably misguided assumptions to stay in status quo. Unreasonably misguided assumptions to stay in status quo. This is the reason why people stay in fear. It says in the passage, verse 14, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town, the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed. This is the town that could hear this guy howling at night. They come out and they're like, whoa, that was the same guy. He's sitting there fully clothed, perfectly sane. And they were all like, whoa, a little freaked out. It says that they were afraid. And verse 16, it says this, and I'll pop this passage up. It says, and those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. What? Why? Didn't he he just solve a huge problem for y'all? A problem that chains and shackles couldn't, that any strong man within that town couldn't bring about, and you would rather have the person that solved the problem, please leave. I, I, I think you'd throw a party, right? The entire town, gripped by fear, reminded of it every day. Jesus brings the town from chaos into order, and the people say, yeah, you should leave. See, most people cannot move from fear to faith because it's easier, easier to live in status quo, even if it's bad, than to allow God to change things for you. It's just easier to just stay where I am. It's just easier to be like, you know, I, that seems hard. I'm just going to stay doing what I'm doing. Even when it's bad, even when these people are like, this is madness. We can't shackle this guy. Oh, he's cast out? Yeah, uh, the person that, yeah, it's just easier if we don't have this. Fear quickly moves you into status quo. It puts, uh, it's easier for you to, to uh, do your own thing than to meet your neighbors. Fear, status quo. It's easier to play it safe and to not jump in conversations with your pagan friends about uh, when they have a conversation about God and you think you don't know the answer. Fear. Status quo. It's easier not to get involved in church because you've got a lot going on. Fear. Status quo. You you have to move out. You've got to say, I've got to step into something that is, I I can't just stay where I am. When I left my, my first church and moved to Westgate 10 years ago, I had an admin that I'd become close with and, and she was just like, we were doing all this ministry stuff together and we had great teams and it was awesome. And when I left, it was just heartbreaking for her because she's just like, I don't know what I'm gonna do anymore. I, and then she said this and I remember, she goes, she goes, I guess I'll just keep doing what I'm always doing. Status quo, fear, change. And I said, no, don't, don't, don't do that. 
Step out, do something crazy. And we talked about it for, for about a month after I'd left. And she eventually said, you know, I decided to go to China and teach English to students over there. Goes over there, meets her husband, comes back. I mean, it's just this phenomenal story where she would say, I had to step out of this fear. There's a fifth thing. Fifth thing that I see in this passage in regards to moving from fear to faith. And speaking to Again and again, this here, the undeniable message of personal healing and redemption. The undeniable message of personal healing and redemption. To speak of it again and again. Talk about something that moves you out and motivates you and inspires you is to tell the story of where you were and where you are today. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed begged him to go with him, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord's done for you and how merciful he's been. So the man started off to the 10 towns, and here's a passage, and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. This is so strategic. It's so Jesus. This is so, this is, it's so clear that God has this master plan. Jesus didn't want him to be part of his, it's not that Jesus didn't want him to be part of his posse and go on the Jesus tour, but there's this town that was overtaken by fear, and this man's story was so powerful, so undeniable, that his message of healing and redemption would move them as a town from faith to, from fear to faith, with the same thing that is this redemption story. Your redemption story moves people to say, maybe I can do that too. It was, it was key that he had to stay. It says that he went to the, the, the Decapolis, the 10 towns in that region. All the people that knew about the madman. It was the perfect testimony. And you are in the same thing. God is, has you right where he wants you. Strategically placed to tell your story again and again and again. Of how you move from fear into faith and inspiring others to move from fear into faith. When I moved up here um, to the Bay Area, I worked at my church. I had worked there for about six months, and I, re- and I, and I still struggled along the way. Like, I, I, I believe that God called me up here, but I, I had this, these doubts all along the way. And what I've realized that God, as you go through, as you journey, he doesn't just say, hey, I want you to get here, and then just, I hope you arrive. He walks alongside you as you go. And so as you say, God, I want to step into this faith journey. I want to step out of fear and into this. He walks alongside you. And he gives you these pockets, these reminders, these little things along the way that says, you got it. You can do this. And so it was six months into my journey, and I'm thinking, man, this was a horrible move for me. Why did I move to the Almaden Valley? Why did I move to San Jose? My family's depressed. My kids won't talk to me. My wife is discouraged. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I doing here? And I really seriously considered moving back home. And I remember I was uh, asked by someone to say, hey, could you uh, pick up a dude at the airport, San Jose airport, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, sure, no problem. And so one morning I was leaving, I was going down Camden Avenue and getting on Almond Expressway. And in Southern California, expressways are big. They're like, they're like expressways. We put the in front of them because they're that big. And, but this one, I'm, I'm pulling on, and there's this... So I'm thinking like it's like a freeway, and the guy that's in front of me is thinking like it's just like a street, and so he's trying to, he's, you know, I'm looking for my spot to merge onto the expressway, and I turn, and I look, and the guy that's in front of me stopped dead, just waiting with his blinker on. And I'm already, and I'm moving like 30 miles an hour before I turn, I look, and I rear-end him. And smash my car and his car. 
I'm already discouraged. I'm already pressed. I'm already questioning everything. I'm already just like, God, what are you doing? Now I just rear-ended a dude in Amadan. And I put my head on the steering wheel. I thought, what the, what the heck? I get out of my car. The man gets out of his car. He walks over, and he looks at my car. and looks. At, he, says, he goes, you know, I think my car's going to be okay. He goes, you're having a bad day, aren't you? I go, yes, I am. And he said, I think my car's going to be all right. Your car might need a little bit of work, but my car's all right. Then he walks over to me, and he hugs me. I just rear-ended this guy. <laughs> and he hugs me, and he says, everything's going to be okay. Just keep looking up. He gets in his car and drives off. And I'm like, whoa. I, I think it was an, an, an angel. That's just my opinion. Like I rear-ended an angel. We'll laugh about it in heaven later. But it just, I just think it was... <laughs> It was this moment for God to say, I got you where I want you. I'm experiencing all these fears. But today, I'm one of your reminders. Here, awakening. You got this. Step out of fear. Move towards faith. God's got you covered. He can do this through you. Matthew 5 tells us, you are the light of the world. City on a hill cannot be hidden. He has set you where you are strategically for something unbelievable, heroic, epic for the sake of the kingdom. And God is standing there with you, beside you. Be careful not to match spiritual solutions to spiritual issues, to to match them to spiritual issues. Live in love in the presence of Jesus himself. Be mindful of the forces of darkness. Call others out of status quo. Speak often of the redemptive work. And I, want, I want to leave you with this verse, and it's worth memorizing. Scriptures say this in 2 Chronicles 16.9, that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he may show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are completely his. The God of the universe is on your side. He is right there with you. He will show, the God who created everything will show himself strong on your behalf. Just give your heart to him and he will move you from fear to faith. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the chance to be together and to um, um, be challenged by such a weird story and yet you put it in there for us because you wanted us to see something about yourself and see something about ourselves that we needed to be called out to. And will you continue to work and inspire us and call us and illuminate us and allow us to reflect that light to the community that we live in, that we would move from faith, from fear into faith and to live and love like Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.